Okay, so we are in week two of prayers, and so we're, we're going to be just looking at different prayers in the Bible, and we started this last week, and we will, this will take us through the new year, uh, the first couple weeks uh, in January, and um, none of them, they're not, we, the order doesn't really necessarily matter, so what we preached on last week doesn't really matter a whole lot, other than maybe just kind of every week having maybe a little bit more of a robust theology of what prayer is and what it does and how do we pray. And yet at the same time, the goal of this series isn't that we would all just pray more, right? Just be better prayers, uh, right? If, and if you're like the, the Christian in the family or, or like me, like the, the pastor in the family, it's always like, oh, Brian, you, hey, Brian, why don't you pray? You know what I mean? And you pray and like, oh, good prayer. Yeah, that was a good prayer. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's not the goal, right? The goal is not to be good prayers, uh, which the goal though is just that we would see Jesus, uh, that we would see Jesus more clearly, that we would see our Father in heaven more clearly, and that we would love love our God more. And so this week's uh, sermon, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 15. I've entitled this sermon, The Rehearsal of the Gospel. And, and if you know this passage, which if you've never been to church, if you've, you're not a believer and you just say, yeah, but I don't, that, that's, how, that's, that's how I identify right now. Um, this is a passage that you've probably heard before, at least in a movie. And this is what's typically called the Lord's Prayer. And so we will get a chance to read that. I'm going to be mainly in Matthew chapter 6, uh, 5 through 15. Uh, I will look at just the parallel passage briefly in Luke, and, uh, and then that will be that. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, just stand with me if you're able, and we're going to read this out loud. We're going to read the whole passage. But what I would like us to do is that when we actually get to the Lord's Prayer, uh, so it's going to say, uh, this then is how you should pray. I would like all of us to actually recite the Lord's Prayer out loud together. Uh, and the reason for that, right, this, this is, this is a, we can talk about liturgy and, and church uh, history, um, but there's something about corporate prayer and corporate confession. And if you grew up in the church, especially a Catholic church, you said this prayer a lot. Uh, and so it might, might be a little bit different. I think I'm reading from the NIV, and so the, the language might be a little bit different from maybe what you're used to, but um, we'd just like to read that together. Uh, and so I'm going to read this, and then when I get to that, we can all read it together, and then we'll uh, continue uh, with the sermon here. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, starting here in verse Five. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. All of us together here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, again, like I said, that might, might have read a little bit differently just because of the translation, but then some of you might be going, what, what, what about the ending, though? There used to be, what happens to, uh, and, and, and uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is just a little... 
a textual thing. Uh, that is in, uh, if you grew up uh, like me in the church, uh, we read a version called the King James Version. Uh, good Bible, but it was uh, translated in 1611, which was a long time ago. Uh, and so what they did back then, this is gonna, just for the nerds in the room, this is, this is exciting. The rest of you are like, I don't care. Uh, they used, when they translated, they used a thing called the Byzantine text, which means um, they took five of the most complete uh, old ancient texts that they had to translate into English, okay? So they took major portions that they had um, and, and translated into the, into the book that we have that we call the King James Version. And one of them, and a lot of these older texts that were more complete, had that phrase in there, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever, Amen. The translations that we use now today that are a little bit more modern, what they did because we had the technology and, and because thousands more other manuscripts have been discovered since 1611, uh, that it's called the majority text. So they take little small fragments. It might just be two words or eight words or a sentence or two, but we've got thousands of them. And so we compile all those together to where we have multiple full volumes of manuscripts. And so, the, so, so if you look and if you have a Bible open, if you have a newer translation, it might say this phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, is not in the oldest manuscripts. That's what it means. All right. Uh, that, so it may be in, in the King James Version or other translations, but when we look at the oldest manuscripts, it's not there. Why is it there? My guess is that some scribe, when he was copying it, just got so overwhelmed with praise, was like, I got to put this in here. Right? I got I to gotta do it. But, but he shouldn't have done that. Okay. Don't do that. Um, and so that's why we have the old. So that, anyways, that's, that's that. It has nothing to do with anything. If that's interesting to you, great. If not, mm, sorry. All right. Lord, teach us to pray. I want to go back and, and look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. This is the only, only verse I'm going to be out of the, out of the passage we're looking at today. But Jesus is traveling with his disciples. In, in, the, in the Matthew passage, it's what, what's, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is teaching, and we don't necessarily get this dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples, but he's traveling with his disciples. And it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. John is John the Baptist, Jesus' older cousin, the one who baptizes Jesus, and, he's, and he has followers out in the wilderness, and he's, he's got these disciples, and, he, and, and apparently John taught his disciples how to pray and in a way that John prayed or whatever that may be. And so it's like, Jesus, teach us, teach us to pray. And we have to ask ourselves the question of why is it that the disciples would go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray? Or there's something about his prayer life that he prayed a lot, that he, he removed himself from the area, from people. He did it in private. And yet he was praying and maybe they weren't privy to what he was praying or, or specifically what he prayed. And so Jesus, what, what, what is it, right? What are you saying to God? Teach us, teach us to pray. I'm gonna answer that with a story in this sense that this week I got to have the, uh, I don't know, the, the privilege to be able to go to uh, Las Vegas with a group of pastors, which might sound very counterintuitive. Uh, but we, we uh, every, twice a year, every six months, I get together with these, these men. Uh, some of you might recognize Drew there in the front, the big red beard. Uh, he is the lead pastor of our Columbia Heights location. He's preaching right now. And uh, the other guys you don't know, but we're all from the Midwest. Uh, from two are from Michigan, one's from Missouri, one's from Iowa, and and then the two of us from Minnesota. And we are pastors of churches in similar size and similar ages. And we get together twice a year, and we just get to 
spill our guts to each other. Uh, they are a great group of men uh, that I uh, love. Uh, that, and again, I only, I only see them a couple times a year and we email and text here and there, but um, they are men that uh, I am able to just share my life with and share burdens with and talk about church, talk about all of you. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Uh, talk about our marriages and, and whatever it may be. And it's just a, a really, really great time. But we were in Vegas. Uh, I don't know why we went to Vegas. Normally we just drive to a cabin somewhere in Illinois or something centrally, but we decided to go to Vegas and we rented an Airbnb down there. And as we're in the house, we were like, hey, maybe we should try to go do something, you know? And then and we were gonna go to a state park and then uh, someone was like, oh man, the Hoover Dam is only 30 minutes from here. So we we're like, yeah, let's go check out the Hoover Dam. I thought we were just gonna like drive across and that was gonna be it. But they were like, hey, let's take the hour long tour. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, it ended up being a lot of fun. It ended up being a really, really cool tour. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and and the, you, it's hard to see, but the water levels are really low in Lake Mead right now. If, that image there, that, that kind of where it goes from black, the dirt, to where it's white, that's normally where the water is. And it's, it's probably at least 100 feet below where it, where it should be, uh, which is pretty wild. But we did this tour, and, and, I, and I'm sharing all this because of, and it's not the greatest picture, but the guy with his, with his hand up there, he was our tour guide, and his name was Zane. <laughs> all right, now Zane had been working at, uh, at the Hoover Dam uh, for over 25 years. This guy has been given tours for a very long time. He'd have, he's had a couple different jobs, but this guy knew everything about it. Right, you'd, you'd ask a question and he always knew the answer. Um, and even if he, and if he was like, oh, I, I actually will address that on the tour, right? We were kind of beforehand asking questions and, um, and there just was nothing that this guy couldn't answer. And it was fascinating, right? And so the whole point of why I bring Zane up is because why, why is it that the disciples ask Jesus, how do you pray? The same reason why we ask Zane questions about the Hoover Dam, because he knows everything there is to know about the Hoover Dam. He's been around for so long. He's actually discovered things that had been lost. He was talking about the, the gold or the copper doors on an elevator. He's like, this was, he's like, the whole room that we're in is all dark green and light green. And he's like, and the gold or the copper was supposed to patina, but because of all the handprints, we clean them every night and, and they never get a chance to, to uh, patina, right? because we clean them, but that wasn't the original, the original idea, right? Just little things like that. This guy just knew everything. And it was just cool to be in the presence of somebody who you could ask a question, you knew you were gonna get a straight answer. And that's exactly what the disciples do to Jesus. But Jesus is better than Zane, <laughs> right? Zane was a cool guy, all right? But he was limited. The disciples go to Jesus and say, as the expert in this, Jesus, teach us to pray. The thing is, Jesus is gonna answer their question but um, first he's gonna answer their question with how not to pray. Um, he's trying to make a point and he's emphasizing authenticity, uh, vulnerability, emphasizing our heart posture when it comes to prayer. And so he's gonna start with these two ways uh, not to pray. And the first one is not to pray like the religious. And by religion, I mean this. I mean, religion in the sense that I need to do something, I need to perform something in order to be liked or loved by God. Meaning, I'm going to pray so that God will love me more. I'm going to go to church this Sunday so that I will just, you know, get right with the big guy upstairs, right? That's religion, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie to the church. I'm gonna do this thing because I want whatever. That's religion. 
Jesus is saying, the, the biggest indictments that Jesus says in the scriptures are always against the religious leaders. I mean, always, and he does not pull his punches. So here, he's gonna, again, say this in Matthew 6, verse five. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, right? He's, he's literally calling the religious people hypocrites. Why? For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Or they, they would go into the synagogues. This is an image that I have on here of another parable that Jesus teaches of a Pharisee. A Pharisee, again, a religious leader, a zealot, someone who's so passionate about the religion. And this individual goes into the temple, right? And he's standing there and this image kind of shows him putting money in the, this coffer, this pot. It would kind of ring, you know, and it would make a, a clink as he would put money into it. And he's, and he's praying, right? He's just boasting, look at me, right? I'm putting money in here, I'm praying. And as in his prayer in the parable that Jesus teaches, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy, right? That's just the, this posture of hypocrisy, of look how good I am. I am so good. I'm so thankful that I'm not a sinner like this guy, this tax collector. And a tax collector, I know I've shared this before, but tax collectors were just the epitome of, of treason and, and backstabbing in that culture. They were Jewish individuals who were now collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman invading occupation. It's hard for us to imagine what that would be like, but some of your best friends, your neighbors, your family members saying, hey, I'm Jewish or I'm American, but we're occupied by something else. I'm gonna actually go to your door and collect taxes. And because I know you so well, and I know how much money you make because of your occupation, I know how much you should be paying in taxes, right? Just evil, just vile in that sense. They were looked down upon so much. And yet this tax collector in this parable that Jesus is talking about, he can't even lift his eyes up to heaven that he pounds his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the posture. And Jesus is saying there's, there's something that's happening that when we pray that it shouldn't be, look at me. Does that mean we shouldn't do corporate prayer? No, of course not. But when it's, hey, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray in a way, right? I don't know if you guys grew up again. I, I grew up in the church and people had this like prayer voice, right? That all of a sudden would like pray in, in King James language. Oh, thus heavenly father, we thank thee, Doug. What, what are you talking for? Who are you talking to? Who talks like that, right? Don't do that. Heart, it's a heart posture that happens here. It's a matter of our heart. Then again, Jesus continuing here says, truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Right? They, they got the recognition, they got the praise. And Jesus then shifts it. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward, will reward you. And this might, and this is actually where the, if you're, again, if you grew up Catholic, if you went into a confession booth, this is where this comes from. Uh, it wasn't, uh, didn't start until the 1600s, but this idea of praying in a closet to my father, uh, but for them, it's gonna be the priest and confessing my sin. Uh, and it's unseen. I've got this mesh thing in between me. I can't see him. He can't necessarily see me. It's kind of where this idea comes from. Um, and yet we're gonna interpret this and say, no, this is actually praying to God. This is to our heavenly father, as Jesus is going to tell us. But there's two things that, are, that, that happen here in this passage all right, there's this idea of reward and this idea of an unseen God. This is not prosperity. 
Right? This is not, oh, if you pray, then God's gonna give you something in return, right? If you, you, you pray, like just, just sow the seed of, of, of something and, and ask God for, for riches or value, some reward, and, and then it will be given to you. It'll give in tenfold, whatever. And reward here means reward, right? It, it, is, it is a monetary value. This is not, um, we can't over-spiritualize this text. And yet when we look at this passage and other passages around this, there's a lot of debt transactions that happen forgive me of my sins and, and we will forgive those of their sins. And, and there's a lot of this going on back and forth, but the reward here that we see, especially when one with faith is that I pray, I believe with faith and I'm, my reward is salvation. My reward is adoption. My reward is justification or living a, a life that is declared righteous before God. That's, that's my, my reward. The other aspect is that, is our goal to be seen by people or to be seen by an unseen God? But there's something about our posture again when we pray that again, religion's gonna say, look at me. Look how good I am, look how spiritual I am. Whereas a faith-based prayer is gonna be completely different and say, look at him. I, I want the eyes to be on Jesus. Uh, Paul, uh, he likes using this phrase, talking about the Holy Spirit, that he's self-effacing, that he, that he doesn't want to take the glory to himself, even though he is God. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to point people to Jesus, and that's kind of how we should be in our prayers, that it's not about me, it's about God. Again, religion says, I want myself to be praised, that you should praise me, where faith says, no, no, let's praise him, the only one who is worthy of praise. The second way that Jesus teaches us not to pray is like the irreligious. He says this, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. That word pagans is just uh, someone who's involved in, in idol worship, not someone who is religious in the sense of uh, Jewish, but other religions or non-religion, uh, irreligious, but they're gonna say things. They're with their, their wisdom or their rations or their teachings that make them sound good. And if we just keep teaching this, or uh, when it came to idol worship, this these short, quippy little phrases and as I was preparing this, I, I was uh, thinking, because the new, the new uh, Star Wars series, Andor, anybody been watching that, uh, that uh, it, it's, it takes place right before Rogue One. Am I right? Five years before, okay. <laughs> it takes place five years before Rogue One. And so I, I, I re-watched Rogue One on the, on the airplane uh, down, to, uh, down to Vegas. And, and there's this character, I'm, I don't know his name, Chirrut Imwe. Yes, nailed it. Uh, and, and he has this phrase. He says it a million times in the movie. I am one with the forest, the force is with me. I am one with the forest, the force is with me. I am one with the forest, the force is with me. That's this. That's this babbling. That if I, that if I just say this over and over and over, then, then I'll be rewarded because of my, my many words. And um, Chirrut ends up dying uh, saying that phrase. Just gonna throw that out there. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he is a hero though, in my heart. Matthew chapter six, verse eight says this, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, this verse right here, I, I mean, I, I, for years, it really threw a wrench in my prayer life, right? It, it made me go, well, then what's the point? 
I mean, it, I mean, Jesus is literally saying, don't do these repetitious things. Don't do these, don't like just, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, then why ask him? The, 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 the purpose of Jesus saying this phrase is not some theological aspect in the providence, the sovereignty of God, and he already knows, and so therefore don't even ask because he already, he already knows what you're gonna say anyways. It has nothing to do with that. This has everything to, be, to, to look at that he, he knows you. <laughs> this is a phrase of intimacy and knowledge that God knows you so well that before you even get a chance to ask it, he is already answering that. He's already meeting your needs. It makes me just think of my kids. It's, it, it, uh, as, as a dad, when you have young kids, you, you sometimes feel like you have a superpower uh, in the sense that they will be uh, playing with something and then they start looking around the room and you know exactly what they're looking for. And you go and you know where it is and you grab it and you hand it to them. And before they even go, hey, dad, could you? Oh, oh, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was just about to, just about to ask for that, right? Or they're, they're eating mac and cheese and, they, and I see they're getting a little low. So I just go and I start and it's like, oh, hey, dad, can I have some? Oh, yeah, thanks. Right? It's, it's, it's that knowledge and intimacy that God knows you as a child. As a ch- you are a child of the king of God and he wants you to talk to him and ask him. But he just knows you so well. That is the God that Jesus is telling us about. Intimacy in relationships. And so he's gonna introduce, and Jesus is gonna introduce a third way, a gospel way of prayer. He then says this, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, there's three aspects that I just want to point out here. First off is that word, our. There's something collective about the way that we pray. That it is our father. Yes, he is my father, but he's also our father, which then immediately gives us some kind of relational intimacy in the fact that we both and everybody can go to the same father. It it happens to me anytime I travel or I meet someone new or I go to some conference and I and I sit down at a table and I start talking with somebody next to me and 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 they're a believer, we immediately have that connection. We immediately can talk about how great our father is. Even though I've never met this person or seen them in my life. There's an intimacy there. Then he says, our father. And our father in heaven. It's not our earthly dad. It's not just our, our father. Again, it's not, it's not necessarily a phrase. We don't necessarily call God or, or really call other people father. I don't know how this started. My kids, at least Henry and Jack, you know, five and three, I'll, I'll ask them to do something. And I don't know where this started, but it's like, okay, father. It's like, <laughs> and they kind of laugh at me. It's like, where is that? Where did that come from? Like, I have no idea. They just think it's funny to call me father. And I don't know where that started. Um, and, but that's not this case, right? This is not a okay father. This is, this is a, uh, the, the exact, the Hebrew word, or the Aramaic that's translated here into the Greek is this Abba, right? And, and sometimes it's translated and some people will say daddy, right? And that's okay. And that, but it's just trying to get this, this intimacy across, Right, father seems very formal, very separate. It's no, it's it's dad, and I know there are some of you in this room, like myself, who don't have an earthly dad, uh, or, or you have an estranged relationship with your father. This is dad, 
right? But you're not just a physical dad who's gonna let me down or has let me down or has died. You are my father in heaven. You're here and you, you know me so well that before I even ask you, but you already, you already know what I need right now. You're my father. Our father in heaven, and then he's gonna go on to say, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. This is not used as an adjective, right? This is not, uh, I pray that your name would be holy. No, your name is holy, that we can refer to him as holy in heaven. <laughs> That's what's happening here. There's something separate about him and yet intimate about him. Holy is your name, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this kingdom, not a physical kingdom in the sense of I need to take over some territory, that we need to win some nation back. If just the right person were in, in power, then Jesus' kingdom would come wrong. Your kingdom come in the hearts and the souls of individuals. That's what it is. Your kingdom come and then your will be done here on earth the same way that your will has free reign in heaven, that we pray that same thing would happen here on this earth. A little quote here from Norval Gildenhouse. He says this, hallowed be thy name. The name of God in the Bible is an expression of his being, especially insofar as he has revealed himself to mankind. So the first supplication is that God should be sanctified not only in one praying, but in all creation. The petition is that God uh, should so work inward, inwardly upon the one who prays and upon all others that they shall recognize him in his self-revelation and serve him as the, as the Holy One, that they should render to him the divine father all honor and adoration and should love and obey him with their whole heart in fact, the petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth, are in essence one petition expressed in a threefold way, which is a very Hebrew thing. Uh, this idea of, of three aspects being repeated. And so just saying the same thing, your name is be, be hallowed, your name is holy. This is who you are. And that, that implied with who you are, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. It's saying the same thing in three different ways. So now I want to get to this idea of prayer is rehearsal of the gospel in this sense. He says this in, uh, at the end of this, verse 11 through 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily need. What is it that we, I, I, I'm lacking something, I need something right now. And so God, would you, would you give that to me? Forgive me of my debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead me not in temptation, but, but deliver me from the evil one. One uh, acronym that's used often in prayer is called ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S is supplication. A lot of times, and we can see that in this passage, we have all of these aspects of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And yet so often that when we pray, we start with supplication. 
We start with, I need this thing. God, help me with this thing. Deliver me from this thing. So much of it is, I need this. Usually our, our needs are what drives us to prayer. That's not a bad thing. It's just that shouldn't be the only thing that we should follow the Lord's example and teaching his disciples how to pray, that we worship God, we give thanks to God, we confess our sin to God, and then we ask for our needs. And this is a rehearsal of the gospel in this. We don't do anything. This is completely passive. This is simply me asking God to do something on my behalf. That's the gospel. I can't do anything to earn God's love, to earn God's favor, to warrant his forgiveness of my sins. He does it out of love. It's a passive aspect. And that's exactly what prayer is doing here. I pray, I put my faith in God, yes, but he in return does everything. He is the one that is working. And again, uh, at the end of this passage here, then we get in Matthew chapter six, looking at verse 14. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This is not meant to be a frightening verse of, oh man, if I don't forgive them, God's not gonna forgive. That's not the point necessarily. This again, Jesus is getting at the heart posture. That if I'm asking, if I'm praying and saying, God, please forgive me of, my, of the sin I've committed against you, but then someone commits sin against you and you're not gonna forgive them, Jesus is calling you a hypocrite. It's the same language that's being used. You're saying, I want to be forgiven, but I won't forgive. There's a, again, this heart posture that is different. There's something about my heart and the intimacy that I need to have with God. We use this uh, book a lot. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I wanna just read this paraphrase if I can see it. Yeah, I can. Uh, read this paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer, uh, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Um, and uh, it's just a, a beautiful summary, synopsis, that, that little children can understand the intimacy between a father and a daughter, the intimacy between a, a father and a son. And that's how we get to go to God. I know I've often shared the Tim Keller quote, pastor in New York City, uh, that he says that the only one who dare wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water is a, is a child. And, and we have that kind of access. We're the ones who get to go to the father, go to our dad. Say, dad, I need, I need this thing right now. And he's not gonna be angry the way I get angry when my kids wake me up in the middle of the night. He's gonna love them and care for them. So Sally says this in this paraphrase of these passages that we've looked at. Hello, daddy. We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again and in our hearts too. Do what is best just like you do in heaven and please do it down here too. Please forgive us everything. Uh, sorry, please give us everything we need today and forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they really hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. We don't wanna keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God, and you can do whatever you want. You are in charge now and forever and always. We think you're great. Amen. Yes, we do. She continues, you see, Jesus was showing people that God 
would always love them with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So they didn't need to hide anymore or be afraid or ashamed. They could stop running away from God and they could run to him instead as a little child runs into her daddy's arms. We have that kind of access. Sin makes us want to hide and the, the inherent guilt and shame that we have. And our father runs to us as we see from the, the prodigal son. He sees us afar and he runs to us and he embraces us. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of father. And so when we pray, it's not this formal, ritualistic, religious thing that I need to do. This is a child talking to a father. Again, the goal isn't just to pray better, to pray more. It's to know Jesus, to know the father. So in gospel application, you are fully known by your father in heaven. You are fully known by your father in heaven. He knows you better than you know yourself. Again, it's the same way when my kid's throwing a little hissy fit right? It's like you, you need a Snickers. You know what I mean? Like you, you are freaking out right now. And I'm telling you, you need to eat something. No, I don't need to eat it. Oh, and then they eat it. Oh, I feel great. Yeah, no kidding, right? There's that intimacy of being fully known by your father in heaven. And so we pray to the one who wants to bless you abundantly more than you could ask or think. Abundantly more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. He wants to do that for you. In a minute, I'm gonna close in prayer. Before I do that, we're gonna have an opportunity to take communion. We do this every week at Lower Town. And so we have the elements up here, the little wafer that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was spilled for us. Our heavenly father loves you and knows you so well that this display of love happened, that he sends his only son, his true son to be crucified on our behalf to pay for the sins that we cannot pay for ourselves. He does that. And so we take these elements and we remember. And so as you grab these elements and you go back to your seats and you're, you're praying, I just want you to think about that word, Father in heaven and how much he loves us. We just sang it, oh, how he loves us. And so worship team's gonna play two songs. Feel free to grab these elements. And if all I'd ask you, you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements today. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. This could be your first time going into a church. But if you go, wow, that Jesus, that kind of love, that kind of intimacy with that father, yes, that I, that I want. And I would love to partake of these elements with you this morning as I remember the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let me pray for us and we will continue worshiping through communion and song. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. People would see you as who you are and see your value and your worth and that you would just become irresistible to them. We want your kingdom to be expanded one soul at a time. Pray that your will would be done here, now, just as it is being done in heaven. 
pray that you would forgive my sins, that you would forgive our sins. We know that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, continue to meet our every needs. Continue to allow us to help those who have need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. For thine is the kingdom. And this is all about your glory forever and ever. Amen.